Thanks, Kate. Great to have that uh, wonderful reading from Hebrews in front of us. We're going to concentrate on the Timothy one tonight. So if you want to get uh, 2 Timothy open, that would be great. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to help us make the most of this time together. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to praise your name. I thank you, Father, for the ability and the opportunity to turn our hearts to you in prayer. Father, thank you that we can sit under your word now and we pray that you would speak to us. Father, come and take this ancient word and make it alive for us today by the person and work of your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off tonight, we're going to talk about our enduring values. So we're on a series looking at our values. We've done faithful, we've done adventurous, we've done compassionate. Tonight we're doing enduring. And I wanted to open uh, with a great story of endurance, uh, but a little bit of trivia first. Uh, Does anyone remember this note? Yes. Uh, So great, uh, great note. I don't think I ever had one. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that I didn't have one. Um, but it's a bit of a trivia question for you. I want to know who is on the other side of this note. Does anyone know? Yes, Mawson. Let's see. It is uh, Sir Douglas Mawson. And uh, the reason that he's got the, that uh, headgear on uh, is because he was a famous Antarctic explorer. He's uh, a- absolutely Australian hero. And I'm going to try and make a pitch to you tonight. New Life at Night. I'm going to make a pitch to you tonight to say, you should know about Douglas Mawson, and he should be a rigid-ditch Australian hero for you. Okay? There's a reason he's on the $100 note, and it was, he's, he's worthy of the spot. Okay? He really is. So I want to tell you a little bit of his story. Um, so uh, Australia is part of the frontier uh, in 1912 of exploring Antarctica. Big scientific mission down into the Southern Ocean. They get there, they land. They've got a hut and a base established there. And they go on this, they decide to go on this thing called the Eastern, the Far Eastern Sledging Expedition or something like that, which was a glorified name for these three guys, Mawson and Metz and Ninnis, and their two sleds with six dogs each heading out to go as far as they could into the wilderness. Uh, now, this is the day, it's really important to understand, this is the day before GPS. These guys navigate by stopping in the middle of the day with a watch and using a sextant to work out where they are and plotted on a map, okay? It is seriously ancient technology, okay? And, and it's risky because they don't have all our high-tech clothing. There's no Gore-Tex here, okay? There's no special booties. They are, they are doing the best they can with what they have, but they are incredibly brave. So on November the 10th, 1912, they set out. Five weeks later, Mawson's walking along and he hears a crack behind him and he turns around and tragically, Ninnis' sled is no longer in sight. He goes running to the space where he's heard the sound and he looks down, 50 feet below in the crevasse that's opened up from nowhere underneath his feet, he can see one of the sled dogs lying on a ledge. Below that is darkness. They can't see the bottom. It's over 150 feet deep there. Ninnis has fallen through the ice with no warning whatsoever and is utterly gone. They stay calling over the edge for three hours before they conclude there's absolutely nothing that they could do. When he went over, he went over with the second sled. That sled had all their food and their tent. They are now 
having traveled for five weeks, they are now over 500 kilometers from their base. So what do they do? Well, they decide the only thing that's left that they can eat are the dogs. And I want to tell you how tragic this is. Ninus had brought, had brought the dogs. He loved them. But Metz had basically brought them up. He had basically raised them from pups. And even worse than that, he was a vegetarian. So 500 kilometers from home, he has absolutely no food. They start to eat the dogs. What they didn't realize at the time, not only was there frostbite and blizzards and navigation and the, the, the grief of having lost their guy, but they didn't have any other food to sustain them. And so they were eating the dogs. And what they didn't know at the time was that the livers of the dogs contained uh, vitamin A and it was poisoning them. The more they ate of the dogs, the more poisoned they became. It meant that their skin started to rot. Um, it meant that they started to go crazy. So here they are, pulling these sleds, eating the dogs as they try and get back closer and closer to, uh, to home. Uh, Metz's health goes down and down and down until in the middle of a blizzard, uh, overwhelmed with, uh, with, uh, with his fevers and fits and everything, uh, Metz passes away on January the 7th, 1913. Mawson, incredibly heroically, himself greatly incapacitated, goes outside and buries this guy, makes a tomb for him, buries him, goes back in, recovers his own strength, and now goes, well, what am I going to do? I am still 160 kilometers. All the dogs have gone. I've lost my two companions, and I'm supposed to get back to base. By now, all the guys back in base have expected us back. They've probably left Antarctica and headed back to Australia. What am I going to do? So he cuts the sled in half, rationalizes the, the makeshift tent he's got down, and then he starts pulling the sled on his own with a harness. He's actually very fortunate that he attaches the harness to it because a number of days later, he's walking along and without knowing it, a crevasse opens up in front of him and he falls. He finds himself hanging by his harness at the end of his uh, harness with the sled stuck at the top. Miraculously, the sled doesn't follow him over into the crevasse. He looks at his bloody and bleeding fingers and goes, I'm going to have to climb up my harness in order to get back out of this. He gets just to the lip and he slips and falls back down again. He is hanging in space thinking, my other guys are dead. The guys at base have probably gone home. And, and he said this amazing quote. He said, it's dead easy to die. It's keeping on living that's hard. And so... With superhuman effort, he hauls himself back up to the top of his harness, over the top of the lip, puts his tent up in a blizzard and crawls into his sleeping bag and ponders whether he should just lie there and die. He thinks of his girlfriend, uh, his wife, sorry, his wife and his, and his companions, and he thinks, I should take, if I die now, all the knowledge that we've accumulated on, my, on our scientific mission gets lost, so I'm going to push on. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to do it. And so he continues on on his own. He, he actually has another one of those incidents falling through the crevasse, but I won't tell you the full. So eventually, eventually, he comes across one of these cans, these piles of snow that have been made by the, by the guys who are looking for him. He finds a little bit of food. He gets a little bit further. And then on the February the 1st, 1913, he makes it back to the base. As he looks up, he gets to the base. As he looks up, he sees the aurora, their ship, leaving. 
amazingly, they've left four guys behind who've said at the absolute, we don't, we're not sure, but we, we, just, we just hope against all hope that he might make it back. There's four guys left and they spend the next Arctic winter, the entirety of the Arctic winter in this hut on their own, waiting for the ship to eventually come back and pick them up and take him home. Now that, guys, that is a story of endurance. That is a story of heroism. That is a story of choosing to remain when you could give up. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about remaining and enduring. So how do we last, not in the, an- in the, in the Antarctic, how do we last in far more ordinary circumstances as Christians hanging on to Jesus? How do we last with him all the days of our life? I want to tell you that it's important that we last because we can see in the Bible some people did a pretty poor job, a less than stellar job of staying strong. So Eli is one of the prophets and he has two sons who go way off track. He dies as a fat old man as he breaks his neck falling off his seat. That is not a glorious end. That is less than stellar. In contrast, Elijah is following, Jesus, uh, following God all the way to the end of his life until God sends a flaming chariot down from heaven, grabs him on board and takes him to glory. That's a good finish. David starts off as a shepherd, a guy after God's heart, and he finishes trying to stop his son having a, a, a coup overcoming him. He finishes afraid and alone, I think. A tragic picture in the end, David. Or his son Solomon, who starts off with this brilliant start loving God and finishes up with a hundred wives worshipping idols. A hundred wives, a thousand wives worshipping idols. In contrast, I want to tell you about two beautiful people, Simeon and Anna. In Luke 2, uh, as we come up to Christmas, you'll, you'll meet these guys again. But in, uh, in Luke 2, we're told about two people who were faithful. In Luke 2, we read, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel. See, God saw Simeon's faithfulness, and he enabled him to last enough to see the fulfillment of his promise. Or there's Anna. This is beautiful. It's a couple of verses later. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. A man who God sustained to see Jesus. A woman who God took into her 80s to enable her to see Jesus. We want to be those who are taken up in a flaming chariot or who last till the last days of our life trusting Jesus. That is what we want. So what tips should we keep in mind? I want to encourage you, let's eavesdrop on Paul's letter to his young mate, Timothy, in 2 Timothy. Uh, Do you love your grandmother? Has anyone got a grandmother they love? You do, Zachy James. That's great, mate. That's my mummy. I love love my granny and I miss her heaps. Um, She died uh, earlier this year at 102. Absolutely love her. That's not her, but that's, that's a representative grandmother. 
Uh, I should have put a picture of my grandmother. That would have been great, actually. Uh, I want you to see uh, how good grannies can be. Have a look with me at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Isn't this awesome? He has a great granny. He has a great mum, and he has a great inheritance. And I want you to see, actually, there's another inheritance here. It's for Paul. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. See, Paul has a spiritual inheritance from his ancestors, and Timothy has a spiritual inheritance from his grandmother and his mother. It's beautiful. There's two great inheritances in this passage here. I want to ask this question, and it might seem a little odd, particularly to those of you who are in primary school, but I want to to get out there. I I want everyone to think about this. What would you start doing today so your grandkids might follow Jesus? What would you start doing today so your grandkids would start following Jesus? So so the thinking is, don't just think, am I going to make it? Please make it. Not just... Can I get my kids to follow Jesus? Please pray for them. But if I was thinking ahead, how would I invest in my kids such that their kids would know and love Jesus? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing for us to be thinking about? It's important to say, remember that we're talking about legacy, not destiny. What does that mean? You can't make anyone become a Christian. And so if tonight your kids are still not walking with Jesus, continue in prayer. Continue to be faithful. What we're talking about tonight is will you be intentional? Will you intend to pass on a spiritual legacy? Because you can't make them Christians, but you can give them the best shot you can. So are you willing to think generationally about your faith? Have a look at this picture here. Tell me what that big leather thing is. No, it's not trousers for the man. Does anyone know what that is? A bellows. So what's happened? So what did you say? A big air blower thing. Yeah, no, okay, that qualifies. That's absolutely right. It's a big air blower thing. And if you have a look at the picture, the guy's got a handle above his head. When he pulls that, it's actually squeezing the air out of that bellows and it goes into the fire that's next door. It's actually how the heat is increased so that they can actually manipulate the steel that's being made on the other side of that. I want you to th- keep that in mind and have a look at verse 6 here. For this reason, Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fire plus fanning equals useful heat. Unless it's in a bushfire in Australia, in which case wind and heat equals a massive disaster. But, but here the idea is it's supposed to be useful, okay? Useful, useful heat. You might see it says there, fan into flame the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And you say, well, what gift is that? Uh, Back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we see uh, Paul talking to Timothy again. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Perhaps Timothy has been given the gift of preaching or teaching, and Paul's saying to him, Fan it into flame. Don't let this gift that you have die down. You need to use it for God's glory. And you may wonder, why, fa- why fan it into flame? You might say, crank it up. You might say, get excited about it. I, you could say any number of things. Why fan it into flame? Because in the Bible, fire can often be destructive 
So why fan into flame the gift that is in you? Well, basically, it comes from Pentecost. Remember Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came? In Acts chapter 2, we see they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the gift is from the Holy Spirit, and so it's right that it's referred to as a fire to get fired up about, I guess, uh, in, in, uh, in Timothy. So I want to I ask us again, are you ready to discover your gifts by serving? Some of you might not know what gifts you have. And um, I, I shared this morning, one of, the, one of the ways I found out what one of, one of my gifts was, was just by starting to serve. So my mum said to me uh, when I was in high school, she said, do you want to come and do um, kids' church with me in the morning? And I was like, I guess I could do that. And so I went in with my mum to the kids who were kind of like, they must have been under five, they're little tiny humans. And, uh, and I went in and I thought, well, this is going to be babysitting. I'll do some babysitting. This is probably going to be Okay. Anyway, we did a memory verse, and I came back the next week, and I said to the kids, hey, kids, what was their memory verse? Now, I couldn't remember what the memory verse was. And then all of a sudden, the kids, word for word, said the memory verse back that we'd learned the week before. I just went, hang on, I don't know this. How do you know this? And what I came to see was it wasn't babysitting. There's some profound spiritual work that is happening when we care for our kids. We're actually setting them up to know and love and follow Jesus I was completely sold on kids' ministry from that early age. And I would never have thought to do it. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought I'm gifted in kids' ministry. But I love it, and I found out by doing it. So what I want to encourage you is, you can discover your gifts by serving, not by staring at your belly button and wondering. Get in and do a variety of stuff. And you'll, I see somebody checking out their belly button right now, which is great. Um, it's not written there. Don't worry, Ryan. Um, so I want to ask you, are you ready to discover your gifts by serving? And then are you ready to fan them, your gifts into flame by serving? Serving is how we fire up. Not just by slapping yourself in the face or whatever else you might think you need to do. It's in serving that we do it. And we do this within the tension of the necessary and the effortless. Let me explain this. What I mean by this is there are some things that we do at church that we need to serve in. And they're awesome like vacuuming the floor here after the service is completed. And I tell you what, there are only a few people here that are gifted in doing that. No, nobody's gifted in doing that. Are we, are we clear? Right? Nobody is gifted in doing that. But you know what? It's a necessary job. So we need to hold the tension between the necessary and the effortless. The effortless is when we serve in our place of gifting and we just love it. It's a joy and a delight for us and we can just run long in it because it's our gift. We want to help you find your gift so you can run long in it. And we're going to need you to help us do a whole bunch of stuff that no one's gifted in, but just serving together. Does that make sense? So, so come and join us in serving. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to talk to the parents first. Uh, parents, you, your kids receive a toy like this. What is the first thing that goes through your mind? Does it need batteries? That is exactly what I wanted you to say, which is fantastic. So well done. The other thing that we think is, please tell me, the silly uncle didn't buy a really loud toy. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're thinking. Um, have a look with me at, uh, at, verses, uh, at verse 7, because I want you to see God doesn't give a gift without including the batteries. Verse 7 says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
You see, God gives us gifts and he gives us the power. I want you to see what that looks like in practice. What has he given us and what have we gained? He said the spirit he gives us is not one of timidity. So when God gives a gift, he gives the boldness to use it. He gives us the power, which means he gives us the talent and the ability to do it. Some of the things that you might be gifted in, you might need to learn how to do, but God will help you. He'll empower you to do it. He says it's, the Spirit gives us love, which enables us to serve in humility, not for our own glory. You need to listen to that, right? Because Holy Spirit service won't be making you a hero. Holy Spirit service will be making Jesus a hero and you his humble servant. So the Spirit has given us, given us power, given us love and self-discipline, which means we keep doing it regardless. Hey, I'm on church cleaning roster. Has anyone seen that I'm, I'm, I'm vacuuming the floor? Because I'm not sure I could do it. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do it a little bit later so that maybe when the band's starting to come in, they'll see me vacuuming and know that I've been. No, no, we'll just crack on and do it, even though there's no glory in it. Power, love and self-discipline. So I want to ask you, are you serving from the Spirit empowering or just working really, really hard? Are you serving from the place where the Holy Spirit is empowering you to serve? Because I want you to keep serving. I don't want you to just serve for this year and then feel really tired and say, I need a break next year, please. I'd like to do nothing. I would love you to keep serving, okay? Not because you're just really, really disciplined, but because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the key to running long is found here. Are we looking to God for the power or are we just working really, really hard? Uh, would anyone like to do this job? Show of hands. Anyone really like to do this job? Oh, I see some hands. Anyone really not like to do this job? I see more hands. That's good. Uh, somebody tell me why they would like to do it. Abselling. That's full stop, isn't it? Drop the mic. Abselling, the end. That's it. That's the reason. It's good. Someone tell me why they would like not to do it. Yes. Okay, abselling. Okay, there's a risk of dying, and because it's abselling. Yeah, okay, no, that's, that's, that's the upside. The upside is abselling, and the downside is abselling. All right, good, we've got it. Um, it is a matter of trust. I want you to see the trust that Paul has here. Have a look with me at verses 9 to 12. Talking about Jesus, it says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. See, here's the thing. A high degree of trust is required to be on the end of a rope for a job. Paul says to be an apostle, you have to have a high degree of trust in someone, the Lord Jesus. I want you to see what Jesus has done and why you should trust him. I got really excited about this this morning. A couple of people noted it on their Caring Connect cards. I, I'll try and do a little bit more low-key tonight, is that okay? But, but church, I, I, want you to, I want you to see what Jesus has done. It, it says here that he has destroyed death. That is not something that you find shopping up at Woolies. You can't find a death destroyer anywhere else. Jesus has died on the cross. His grave is empty. He has conquered death. Death 
The final word on all of humanity need not be your final word. Why? Because he has brought life and immortality to light in the gospel. What that means is eternity is on offer for you. Do you know when this will be really important news to have? At the next funeral you go to. You'll want to know that death has been defeated. You'll want to know that eternity is on offer. Especially when it's your funeral. And that's what's on offer here. Something truly glorious. And so Paul says that the gospel will equal suffering, but it will not equal shame. It will never equal shame, he says. Why not? Have a look at what he says. This is absolutely fantastic. I love it. He says, this is why I'm suffering as I am, yet there's no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Paul says, my eternity is hanging with Jesus and he's utterly trustworthy. He will never drop the ball on this most precious thing in all creation, my soul. He will never drop the ball. He's utterly trustworthy. And Paul says, I will never be ashamed. You can mock me. You can stand me in front of Caesar. The whole court of Caesar can laugh at me and I will not fail. Because Jesus is carrying for me the only thing that I can't carry on my own. He's holding my eternity in his hands and he will always prove trustworthy. And so why is Paul not ashamed? Because it's personal. He personally knows Jesus. And that conviction gives him confidence to stand firm. And so I want to ask us, I guess, tonight, do you know Jesus enough to ask him for eternity? And if you do, are you convinced that he's got your eternity secure? Are you convinced that he's got your eternity secure? Because religion may have many tricks to serving. Christianity has this relationship and its trustworthiness that is called. In other words, Jesus is the reason you'll keep going. That's why. Let's get really practical. In our little brochure, we have, uh, we have each of our values laid out and we have some questions. And I want to run through these questions for you on our enduring value. The first question says, where are you, in weak? Where are you weak and in danger of falling? So we're talking about enduring. In our ordinary lives, this question says, where are you weak and in danger of falling? What does it assume? That you are weak and in danger of falling. Great, okay. Think of Mawson hanging from his harness, okay? We are weak and in danger of falling. There are some internal challenges. Each of us is made weak by sin. We, we, we aren't, we're fractured by sin. That's an internal problem. The external problems from the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us, are the devil and his lies. Pressure and persecution may cause some of us to stumble and worries and wealth can eat us alive. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? You need to think. And I suspect you know. And I'd suggest to you, as we have a quiet time, as Michael led us in for confession, the thing that comes to mind is probably first and foremost the thing that's your weakness. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? You need to be honest. I need to be honest. The next question is the killer. You ready for this? The next question says this. Who knows you well enough to ask this question? Where are you weak and in danger of falling? Who, who will ask you that question? That's relationally heavy, isn't it? Because deep down inside, I want to project an appearance that I'm not going to fall. I, I, I'm doing great. I, I don't have a weakness. So who do I know well enough who can ask me that question? And I want to suggest the only place that that's really probably going to happen is it's going to grow out of our life groups. It's life group plus. 
So someone in your life group, you may be able to get to know well enough that they could ask you that question. And I've actually done some thinking about this because I've done this myself. Um, and I was trying to work out, how do you have this really awkward conversation? Hey, I'd really like to tell you about my weaknesses. Are you okay with that? So I've, so I've made a really awkward piece of paper that helps you have a really awkward conversation. Okay? And basically what this has on it is it has some circles and down the bottom it has some serving suggestions on where you could be weak, a whole lot of them. And what my thought is, is go through this piece of paper and write in a circle each of the weaknesses and then it's got a little traffic light system. The, the red light says, you can tick it above this one and say, it's a live issue today. Or you might say, it's a simmering issue. It's one that I'm just on the verge of keeping at bay. Or you might say, it's a past issue, but I'd like you to know about it because it's still a weakness that might come and eat me alive. This is a good piece of paper. I've used it. It's helpful. There's a couple at the back if you'd like to get them, and I'll put them in the newsletter so you can download it if you'd like to. The third question says, who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? See, it's not just about you. Our sanctification, our lasting to the end is a community project. Did you know that? Can't do it on your own. So who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? Uh, New life, I think we've got two challenges. The first challenge is, will you have the courage and the conviction and the compassion to be a giver? Will you say, I will care for you. I will help you run the race to the end. And the really challenging one, I think, for all of us is the second challenge, which is the humility to be a receiver. Will I let you strengthen me to keep running the race? There's three kinds of people here tonight. Here's how we're going to finish. There's three kinds of people here tonight. There are people who are new. And Paul says, fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in you. And you haven't even started the fire. And so I want to say to those of you who don't know Jesus yet, Jesus has defeated death and brought life and immortality to light. And I'd love you to meet your match tonight and meet Jesus. Yeah? Meet Jesus. Some of you are tired and the fire has burned down. And I want to say to you, you need to become a big fan of Jesus. You need to serve Jesus. I've got a picture there of my scat hat because when, when, when I used to get camping, fire burns down. What do I do? Grab the scat hat off my head. Give it a fan. How are you going to fan it into flame? You want to be someone who gets into serving again. Don't let the fire die. you find it serving. Or maybe you're cranking tonight. Not cranky. Although many of us might be. But you're cranking, right? Okay. It's a raging fire. You are on fire for Jesus. Brilliant. What do you want to do? Throw another log on the barbie. Okay? Keep going. Seek after Jesus. He is, the, he is the absolute engine room of our serving. If you are loving Jesus more, you will have the energy to keep going. And I, I would just say, keep seeking Jesus. You know, Mawson got to the end and the ship had sailed. The ship had sailed. But he was saved in the end. He just needed to be really patient. Tonight, I want to encourage you. I want you to be really patient. Because I want you to be standing with me on the final day when we see Jesus face to face. He returns and he says to all of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into your rest and we spend eternity together. Endure. Here's what it says in the prayer book, this beautiful prayer. It says, and we also bless your holy name for all your servants who have died in the faith of Christ. Give us grace to follow their good examples that with them we may be partakers of your eternal kingdom. I want to last with all those who've lasted before us. I asked Alec to, uh, to pray for this value for us, and we'll put that up now.